Welcome to New Freedom Church. We are a church where real people can experience real, genuine freedom from a Savior that offers it freely to anyone willing to receive. If you are new with us, please like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel so you can automatically receive new content as it's released. Over the next hour, we will worship God through singing together, and you will hear a message that is designed to help you grow deeper in your faith. Feel free to comment below and let us know where you're watching from and how can we pray for you. We want to thank all of those who have shared our videos or written a review because it really does help us reach more people with this life-changing message that there is a Savior who loves them and wants to offer them real, genuine freedom. Finally, if this is your first time with us, please fill out that Connect card at the digital link below and we will send you a free t-shirt. Now sit back, relax, and join us as we dive into worship. Let's put your hands together. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a
So even if all you can get out is a whisper, that's loud enough for the enemy to flee because we're gonna speak his name. Because the darkness flees in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Sing a little louder. 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 church don't we serve a great and big God that we can enter his presence with thanksgiving and praise this morning when I was getting dressed and and I looked down at my socks you say hey where's he going now I've had this issue with a one-size-fits-all Joe knows what I'm talking about we get these gold toe socks and I put them on and they fit size 8 to 12 feet and every time I do that I get a big old heel mark back here because I got little feet I'm a short fella and I'm like this is one size fits all but they really don't fit and, and I've dealt with that well 60 years now but now I was looking at it and I'm thinking Jesus you're a one-size-fits-all, but you fit perfectly. Every time I go to him for whatever need I have, he's a perfect fit, no matter what. If I need healing, he's there. If I have fear, he will secure me with his arms. No matter what, if I'm mourning a loss, 
He's there with me. Wherever I go, I have him. Amen. No matter what your needs this morning, he is a perfect fit for you this morning. If you need salvation or you're going through a dark time, the Lord is here for you and he will meet your need. If you're going through a hard place, if you need healing, if you've lost a loved one, he is closer than a brother. He's close. He will hold you like a lamb being held. He'll come running for you. He wants to see you this morning. But the question is, do you wanna see him? Are you willing to take a step forward to call out to him and say, Lord, I need you today. Sometimes we try to fix our own problems and it just doesn't work. It's day after day after day. It's the same thing. I make a mess of my life. But with him, he is my perfect fit. Let me pray this morning. Heavenly Father, I ask that you see us this morning, that you would lend your ear to us and hear our prayers and our cries this morning. I know there's people here this morning that are hurting, people that need a touch this morning. We ask, we humbly ask that you would come here and be with us. Touch us, Lord, and those that don't know you, let them find a relationship with you this morning. As we go into this time of music and talking about forever and our defender, let them know that these altars, they can come and pray to you, our God and our mighty creator. Lord, we give you the praise and the honor for everything. Amen. i
hallelujah the lamb has overcome we sing hallelujah we sing hallelujah we sing hallelujah the lamb has overcome we sing hallelujah we sing hallelujah we sing hallelujah the lamb has overcome we sing hallelujah we sing hallelujah we sing Church, let's hear what the word of the Lord is to Pastor Sue today. And thus saith the Lord God unto his people, I would live through you, saith the Lord your God. I would be the light in this darkness through you, saith the Lord your God. I will conquer death through you, saith the Lord your God. For you now are the light of this world. Go forth, saith the Lord your God, and let the world know who I am through you. Amen. Let us lift our hands. Let's lift our hands all over this place. You're watching us online. Just take this moment to reverence the Lord God in your heart. God, we lift you up. We receive this as a word from heaven today to our hearts. Let us be salt and light to a dark and weary world, those who are groping in the darkness that know not the hope of heaven, the hope of eternity, let them know today that you have an everlasting love, that you have conquered death, hell, and the grave. We stand before you this morning as worshipers. Let us all worship the Lord together.
What a time to be thankful. Thankful to God for what he's done, what he's doing, what he continues to do. One of the things that I'm very thankful for is the uh, community effort of our church, getting involved and doing things that not only benefit the doers, but also benefit those outside of these walls, those who are watching, those in the community who maybe from a distance are just kind of checking things out. Uh, so many of you continue to get involved, and um, I just want to say thank you for that and also give you an opportunity to continue to be involved, and there are a couple of things that are happening this week that you need to be made aware of before we get into the message. I just want you to kind of know of these. Number one is uh, when you came in today, you saw that in the lobby there are shoe boxes, Operation Christmas Child, 
we've been doing this ministry for well over 20 years. Holly and I personally, as a church, we've been doing this for 17 years. And it is a joy to fill up a box knowing that it goes to someone you will never see. You will likely never know the impact and the effect that it has. And so today is the last day to pick up one of those shoe boxes to fill it and bring it back here next week so we can get it to the distribution center. Also, we have five families this week that our church as a, a community are going to help with Family Promise Shelter here in town. And we uh, gave out some, some slips of paper to many of you to, to bring in a food item. Thank you for doing that. I saw many of you bringing those in today. Uh, there are still a few items that are left. So if you didn't bring it or you'd like to get involved, you didn't get a slip, then see Kelly Fitzgerald after church. She works in the kids area and she will get you plugged into that. We are also looking for some people Wednesday night to help with the meal prep. I think every other night is pretty well taken care of. But if you have some time Wednesday night and you would like to come and be part of that meal prep, that then will be taken to those families over across town at Family Promise. We would love to, to see you uh, available to do that as well with us. And then tomorrow at 1030, for those who are able-bodied, I need a few people to help us to grab the heavier items, the Christmas trees, out of storage so that we can start staging the area for decorations. We're not decorating tomorrow. We're just getting everything out. Somebody say, it's that time of year. Yes, yes, it is. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Turn with me today in your copy of God's Word to uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 24. We are going to uh, go into the second part of where I began last week in the day of the Lord. And as I said last week, it is near impossible to read God's Word from the Old Testament to the New Testament, but particularly the, the prophecies that we see reverberating time again in the Old Testament, and not realize that there is something that is pointing to another event. There is, a, there is something more to the usual normal life that we live. And we see at the, the advent of Jesus, we see at the birth of Christ, the incarnation, that so many prophecies were fulfilled. And through his earthly ministry, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. And the day of the Lord, or the return of Christ, is this sentinel event that all of the prophets were foretelling and even the New Testament starts to reverberate even intensifying this same call. It would be known as the end of human history as we are aware of it or the end of time as we know it. And while there are lots of theories and ideas surrounding the topic of the last things or eschatology, it, there is broad consensus on this one thing. Are you ready? Jesus is coming again. Amen. He is. I had an update on my, my computer this week. Anybody ever get uh, immersed in, in doing your daily work and all of a sudden that pop-up comes and says, you have an update? And usually I just breeze right by that update, but I happened to go away and I came back and it was stuck on this update. It wouldn't let me do anything else but update. You ever been there? You know what I'm saying? I couldn't continue my work until I updated. Interestingly, after it updated, it only took a few minutes, so it wasn't too bad. After it updated, there was this new feature that I've really been wanting to try for a while. And this was an AI-generated question box. And I could put in any question that I wanted to. Knowing that I'm on the day of the Lord, I just thought, okay, I'm going to play with the computer here, man. I'm going to give them a question. Let's see what ChatGPT has to say about this question, which is, when is Jesus coming back? Does everybody want to know when is Jesus coming back? I mean, there's been dates set. There's been people speculate. I believe that there was some major prophecy in January of this year that Jesus was coming back in September 2023. Either you got left behind or it didn't happen. <laughs> it didn't happen, folks. Listen, 
that was a speculation somebody said, and they're setting all these dates. But I just decided I want to know what does chat GPT have to say about Jesus coming back? Here's the response. I just got results of just two sentences, like two lines, two paragraphs. It says, the exact date of Jesus' return is not known. Is that right? Yeah. The Bible states that no one knows the day or the hour of his return, not even the angels in heaven, but the Father only. Is it right? Chat GPT, check the box. However, many people have speculated about the timing of Jesus' return. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. A 2010 survey showed that about 40% of Americans believe that Jesus is likely to return by the year 2050. Who knew? I didn't know. It is important to note that the Bible also teaches that we should always be ready for Jesus' return as it could happen at any moment. Is that right? Hey, ChatGPT did pretty good. I don't know about the 2050 date. I'll have to research that one. That was a new one to me. I didn't know about that one. But Jesus is coming again. Last week, we talked about several significant historic events that had taken place. There was something definitely significant that happened in 70 AD. Many of the things that happened with the destruction of the temple were in direct fulfillment of the scripture uh, passage we're gonna look at today. Uh, Preceding that, uh, Matthew Gospel gives us a lot of detail. Jesus, as he's uh, on the Mount of Olivet, telling his disciples certain things. And we know that uh, in 70 AD, a very uh, monumental thing happened. That was the destruction of the Jewish temple. It was the place of worship, the place of sacrifice. It was the holy place that they would come to three times a year. They would come in honor and reverence of of different feast days. And so this was embedded into the Jewish culture and the, the, the era of their time. It was the end, 70 AD was the end of the sacrificial Jewish law. And get this, for 2,000 years, it has never been rebuilt. There are certain things that ceased at 70 AD that have never happened again. And so while it was an important time, it certainly was not the end of all time. It was not the day of the Lord. We know that because certain things that have been prophesied in scripture did not happen in 70 AD. A lot of significant things did happen, but what did not happen in 70 AD is that God did not intervene in the destruction of the temple. He did not intervene on behalf of his people. We know prophetically that will happen at the day of the Lord, that as the enemies surround God's people, that God will supernaturally intervene and he will stop this destruction and he will intervene on behalf of his people and the wicked will be judged. We know the the unrighteous was not judged in 70 AD. In fact, it was the wicked, the unrighteous, the Roman armies that came and destroyed that temple. So God didn't intervene, the wicked was not judged. The great resurrection did not take place at 70 AD. Death did not cease. Sorrow has not ended. So we know certain things did not happen at 70 AD. And we also know that Eden was not fully restored. So if you read the first two chapters of your Bible, you read Genesis, first couple chapters, and you read the last couple chapters of your Bible, Revelation 21 and 22, there are striking parallels between how things were when God intended and designed it and how things will be again as God intends and designs. Now, in between there are a whole lot of information, a whole lot of stories, a whole lot of life lessons and learning and instruction and righteousness for us. And so that's what we do is we continue to walk out our daily lives. Every 
generation has made a case. Hear me, every generation. Over the last 2,000 years, every generation has made a case why Jesus would come back in their day. And really, I think that is a healthy outlook. I think there is something important about that. We'll get into that more here in just a minute. But how could generation after generation camp on the imminence of Jesus' return, and yet here we are, still waiting, still longing, still wondering, still anticipating, still expecting his return. I think what happens in some ways is that we look back on history almost to reminisce. We reminisce past events. Uh, We look back on uh, things that have happened as a golden era almost. Like, like we think of the times that we live and we measure all the things according to scripture, according to past history, what God had prophesied to ancient Israel. There was destruction. And you read the story of, of the Bible. It's like a, an arc. There's a, there's a theme that is entirely from Genesis to Revelation. And it's one of God wooing and drawing people to him them getting into the place of blessing and then over time idols and other things creep in and they wander and they drift and they get away from God and then they find themselves in slavery and in bondage and and all wrapped up with the things of this world and so they cry out to God, he sends a deliverer. You see this again and again and again. But we romanticize golden eras or, or times in which things were so much better. Like our world today, we think, is the worst that things have ever been. Of course, we're looking at the signs and the times to say, this is when it's gonna happen, it's in our day. Well, let me just go through a couple of eras for you. And I wonder, when were things much better than today? How about the first century? In the first century, surely things were better than they were today, right? Well, historically, we know that Christians were hanging on crosses and they were feeding them in amphitheaters as entertainment for people who did not serve God. That doesn't sound very much better for Christians in the first century, going into a Roman Colosseum being killed. For the next eight, 900 years, things kind of paced along and you had skirmishes, but in a, in, a, in a large way, there was a golden era when Roman Emperor Constantine said that he would make Christianity the, uh, the religion, the official religion of Rome. They went from fighting Christianity to accepting it as the official religion of Rome. And can I tell you that for the first 300 years of Christian experience from Jesus' resurrection, his resurrection and ascension up until about 340 AD, that this was a time of great growth in the church because there was a lot of persecution. There was a lot of testing. They had to do it secretly and they went from home to home and they visited. But as soon as Constantine relegated Christian across all the Roman empire as the official religion, then we started, instead of meeting in homes and going from place to place, we started making cathedrals and coliseums and and, uh, great amphitheaters and great places of worship, great cathedrals of worship. And the churches literally went into a sanctuary, a safe place, safe haven from the world. It actually did not help to propagate the gospel. It it did not help to make it easier to spread the gospel. It was actually more difficult because now Christians went from the, the workplace and the business world and the everyday life into a sanctuary, into a safe place, and they just got domesticated. They just stayed right in there. And things didn't go in a rapid growth for the next 700 years. But about 11th century, we see that there was a crusades and this was a stain on Christian history when Christians would forcibly make people convert to Christianity or they would kill them. We know this is the crusades. It's a dark spot in church history. How about the 1500s? 
during the Reformation, this certainly must have been a better time in history, right? Better than the time we live, yet we see that in that day, the church was extorting money out of fear, made it up a whole uh, doctrine of purgatory and, and extorted money to tell people, well, your loved one has passed, but they're in between here and heaven. And so you need to just give more money to the church or give to the priest, he'll pay, pray a prayer and get your loved one on into heaven. We'll pay them into heaven. And so this was an extortion. This was fear-based religion at its worst in this era, in this time. During this time, Martin Luther, I talked about him last week. You can go back and, and see about that, the, the 95 Thesis, and it became the, the uh, Protestant Reformation. And we know of, of Martin Luther as, in, in church history as someone who would stand against the tide of the evil indulgences that were happening in the church, and he protested all of those things and 94 other things, and he actually had a, a split from the, the organized church at the time, known as the Protestant Reformation. But did you know that reading Martin Luther's writings, that he thought the Lord would return in his lifetime? And he based this upon these things, world conditions, war that was happening all around in his day, signs in the sky. He writes about these things. He writes about the rampant immoral behavior in the 1500s, that surely Jesus would return because the rampant immoral behavior he also talks about the explosion of knowledge in his day. And then about the political climate having descended so low that people cannot get along politically. Does that sound familiar to anybody? So there has been this, this anticipation in every generation that the Lord would return in their time. Maybe the 1800s were better. Maybe if we just go beyond Luther a little bit, the 1800s are better, but actually not. In that time, people would die of an infected bug bite or a, a cut. Uh, there was the scourge of slavery and the Civil War in our own nation. Then you get to the 1920s and you get the raging, uh, the roaring 20s and, and, and all the money that was exchanged and all the great uh, gilded era things. But then it came crashing down in Great Depression. They thought surely the end is near. And then we know World War II in the 40s, in the 1950s, we kind of look back on the 50s as, you know, poodle skirts and, and just you know, what was the worst kind of music is mild by today's standards, right? The young people were listening to. In 1950s were surely a golden era, right? In America, 1950s, that, that was the time. Well, in that time, there was a Cold War that was raging. There were uh, drills that children would have to get under their desk for fear of, of nuclear uh, annihilation. And so all of these things were not a golden era. In the 2000s, we have terrorism, cyber crimes, and let's not forget 2020, the pandemic that sent shockwaves through this entire world and let people realize just how susceptible we are to germs, to infection, to fear, to political differences. And my point is that this world system always has been tough. Every generation can point to something that would make them believe if they know this book, surely, Jesus' return is imminent. Why? Because our world is broken. Our world has fallen. In some ways, our world is much worse than any of those eras I just said, but in other ways, it's much better. We have ways to share the gospel today that we've never, ever had before. We've had uh, great medical breakthroughs, and we have travel, and we have education. We have actually clean water. We have ways that, that we can... Uh, propagate goodness in no other time before. And we have ways that we can expand evil and oppression on a scale never seen before. 
But since God has planted eternity in our hearts, you can read it in Ecclesiastes 3, there's always been an awareness that God is going to set all things right again. There is coming a day, there is coming a time when all things that are wrong will be made right. And that brings us to Matthew 24. Let's look at verses 27 through 31. Here it says, Jesus' words here, For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now when the lightning flashes, is it noticeable? Thunder you can't see, but it's noticeable you can hear. But lightning that flashes, it doesn't matter where you are driving, you're outside, even sometimes inside, you can see the lightning as it flashes. It is something that is known, it's visible, and people will comment on it. Did you see that lightning strike? Did you see that storm? For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered also. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then the sign of the son of man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see, they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven in power and great glory. And he will send his angels with the sound of a great trumpet and he will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. What Jesus is describing here is the day of the Lord. It is the same event that in Acts chapter one, when Jesus is ascending and they're gawking, the angels come and they say, ye men of Galilee, why stand you here gazing into the heavens for this same Jesus? Somebody say this same Jesus. This same Jesus, which you see going, will come again in like manner. We don't know exactly, but it's going to be like that. Jesus describes it right here in Matthew 24. We know this as this great transition event from the current age to the new age. It is this transition event we know as the day of the Lord, the day of Christ, the day of Jesus, the day of Jesus Christ. These are all phrases that sum up and bring us to this one grand event. And this is an event that most scholars, depending on their persuasion of what precedes that event, depending on how they break up the end times, most scholars can agree on this one event. But until that day, until that time, we have a question to ask of ourselves. How then shall we live? There was a great writer in the uh, 20th century named Francis Schaeffer, and he gave an overview of Western thought and lifestyle from a Christian worldview. It was kind of a critique on Western mindsets. The thought that, that the West has so much figured out. We're so much smarter than the rest of the world and from generations that went before us. And he wrote a book called, How Then Shall We Live? And it was really to do with moral character and behavior. And in the light of God's revelation through Jesus, what is it then that the Christian must do? How shall we live? So what I wanna say then is this question to us. How does what I just shared and what was shared last week, how does it become practical in our day? How do we practically live our Christian existence in the short amount of time that we are given on this earth? How then does this apply to us and how shall we live? I wanna share three things with you how practically this applies. Number one is we should be watching. We should, with expectation, prepare for Jesus' return. 1 Thessalonians 5, the apostle writes, but concerning the times and seasons, brethren, who's he talking to? He's talking to to believers, those that they're listening to his message, the converted brethren. 
you do not need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. What is, what is he saying here? That the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Well, what, what, is, what is this, this uh, illusion that the apostle is trying to tell us? And he's saying, I don't want you to be ignorant about this. And you know that there's times and there's seasons and you can kind of understand what the general time frame of, of things and events. But he said, it so comes as a thief in the night. What, what, what does this mean? Now, I'm not talking about the 1970s version of the movie titled Thief in the Night. I watched that. Anybody watch that in youth group? I watched it in youth group. The bell bottoms, the guy, he's running across the bridge, and they sing this song. It's so eerie with the music. Hey, I tell you, I was telling somebody this week, that, that movie scared the hell out of me. I mean, anything in me that was hellish, I'm like, I repent. I get rid of it. I mean, yes, that movie scared the hell out of me. I'm not trying to scare anybody. This is, this is actually an exhortation and a commendation. It's commending the believers. The apostle is saying, listen, the day of the Lord is going to be like, and he says, like a thief in the night. In other words, there are those who are unexpected. A thief doesn't come in the day. He would be caught. It would be found out. But he comes when the unsuspecting are not realizing it. If you think about Jesus' return, you cannot separate it from Jesus' first coming, from the advent. We're getting ready to celebrate a whole month of the advent of Jesus. Now, everybody knows that Jesus was actually born on September the 13th, not December the 25th, right? Everybody knows that, right? Oh, you don't know that. Okay, well, that's a whole nother sermon, all right? But anyway, we celebrate in December. That, that's when we celebrate it. The fact is he came. And so just like his first coming, how is it that the very prophets, the very Sanhedrin, the very teachers of the law, how is it that they missed his coming? I mean, there was signs in the heaven. There were wise men that came. There, there was all of these different uh, events that were happening in the world. How did they miss it? There were signs and miracles and wonders at his own hand. How did they not look back and say, oh, that was the event. That was the coming. This is the Lord. Just like his advent, just like his first coming, so his second coming will come as unexpected to those who are blinded, that those who, who don't understand or they don't know the signs of the times. It is, it is almost cryptic for a reason. There was a reason. Herod set out to try to kill baby Jesus after he learned and anticipated, oh, this is the king of the Jews. So it was cryptic for a reason. His first coming needed to be that way, and it did surprise even the best teachers of the law. And so his second coming, in a sense, will be cryptic. So all the date setters, all those that say it's going to happen this day, sell all your goods. And usually when, you, when you're told to sell all your stuff, who do you give it to? The predictor, the prophet, sell all your stuff and give to them. No, 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 no. It's going to be intentionally hard to figure out or else people would start setting these dates. He says, no man knows the hour of the day, but you don't have to be caught unaware. It's kind of like this. For all of us who drove to church this morning, I, I would venture to say that you have a spare tire somewhere in your automobile. I've, I've purchased a lot of new cars. I've sold a lot of them. And I have yet to purchase or sell a vehicle without a spare tire. Now, am I hopeful that I'm going to have a flat tire? 
Am I, did anybody drive to church today and think, boy, I really hope this five mile journey that my tire doesn't blow? Well, maybe if, you, if you're a threadbare, maybe. I mean, it, you can look and you can kind of in, investigate the seasons and the time of your tires and determine if it's about to blow. Now, if you do, you need to go ahead and get it to the shop and get it taken care of and get it fixed. But you probably have a spare somewhere on that vehicle. Why? Because you're prepared for the eventuality. You drive enough miles, you get into enough automobiles, and eventually you're going to have a flat tire. This happened to us on, on the, the way back to the airport when we were in Dominican Republic. Uh, Pastor Rick and I were all excited. We're, we're headed back home, and we're going to get on the plane, and we we're about 15 minutes into this journey, and the tire blew. And it didn't just, like slowly leak like there was a kaboom this tire blew on this truck we were in and so we had to pull off to the side of the road guys got out they got the tools they started changing the tire you have a spare tire on an automobile because you are prepared for something that's not unexpected you expect eventually it's going to happen that you drive enough you're going to have a flat tire you expect you anticipate the return of the lord because you know what the book says and you have yourself ready and armed just in case, not physically armed with weapons. I mean, mentally and, and spiritually armed, you have the knowledge of wherewithal, the understanding of how to proceed when that event happens. But just like a spare tire, you, you don't always check before you leave the house if you have your spare tire ready, if it's, if it's there. You have it to be prepared and eventually you will probably use it. So here's what we should do. Practically, hear me, we should plan like Jesus will not be back for 100 years. What do you mean, Pastor? I mean, it's okay to have retirement and savings and build up something for the future. We should plan our lives. We should go ahead and live our lives, not wringing our hands in fear, always looking to the heavens and, and so worried. We should plan like Jesus won't come back for 100 years, but we should live like he could come back today with an anticipation in our heart, with expectation. Chris Hodges says it like this, live for heaven, stand for truth, preach the gospel, prepare to meet Jesus. I think that's pretty good instruction, don't you? Prepare to meet Jesus. So we should be waiting also for his arrival. One of the Christian virtues, and we talked about these in our series on the fruit of the spirit, is patience, the fruit of patience. And we learn patiently to wait for something that we deeply long for. There are things in our lives that we deeply long for. Do you remember how long it took you to get from age 14 to 16 until you could get your driver's license? I mean, you, de you deeply long for that time. And some of you, you're looking back and you're thinking that is a distant memory because time keeps marching on. But we have patience as a fruit of the Spirit to wait for something that we deeply long for. So part of practically living our Christian life is in the form of waiting. For those who have suffered persecution or loss, it may seem like Jesus can't come back soon enough, but yet we wait as we deal with the present realities that we're all going through. Everybody has a different trial. Everybody has a different season. But in 2 Peter, the apostle gives us some good words of instruction. He says, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all these things have continued just as they were from the beginning of creation. Now you don't want to be a scoffer, right? You don't want to be a ye of little faith doubter. You don't want to be one of these people. 
Yet there will come times where people will say, where is the sign of his promise? Where is his coming? They've been saying that for years. They've been saying it all my life. Have they been saying it all yours? Yeah, well, every generation feels this. 2 Peter 3 and 8. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. And the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Here, this is what you need to know. People, people get this verse and they want to like, okay, well, a day is a thousand years, a year is, you know, one year, one year is a thousand years, a thousand years is a day, all this. But here's the point of this. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The last stat I saw is that there are 2 billion, an estimated 2 billion with a B, 2 billion people on this planet today, live, who have never even heard the gospel or know the name of Jesus. So if it is the Lord's will that none would perish but all come to repentance, it sounds like we've got some work to do. And if one day with the Lord is like a thousand years, someone says, it's been so long. Well, I don't know. According to God's clock, it's only been a couple days. Can you really do that, pastor? I'm just telling you what the book is saying. I don't really know those times and all that calculation and what we, what we take out of that. But I do know this, that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some would count it. And Jesus will come again. Jesus' return also should comfort us. 1 Thessalonians 5.11. This isn't something that we wring our hands of fear. It says this, Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you are also doing. Talking about the day of the Lord context. The apostle is saying here, you should be comforted with this. This isn't a day of judgment and destruction for those who know God. This is something that we should be comforted with. A couple years ago, there was a song written by an author, uh, Jordan Felice, and, and it got very popular uh, on a lot of the Christian radio stations. And it's simply titled, Jesus is Coming Back. Here are some of the words of this song. Here are some of the lyrics. Have you ever thought that this world has kind of lost its way? Crazy as it seems, yeah, I know it's going to be okay. It doesn't scare me. It's temporary. There's something better. We've got forever, and it won't be long because we know that our help is on the way. So keep your head up. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. The trumpet's going to sound. It's going to blow and the skies are going to open wide. He's coming for us just like he told us. It's been a while, but there's coming a new day. Are you ready? Are you ready? Jesus is coming back. I love the hopeful expectation in this song. And it's still played many times on the radio. Every time I just turn it up a little bit because it is not this fear-based, uh, oppressive, like you, you've got to do all these things. No, it is an anticipation, a promise of the Lord's return in our heart. So what did I say? Well, number one, we watch. Number two, we wait. Number three, we work. Practically, we work. Now, I have to be careful when I use the term work and include the gospel. Because we know, according to the words of Jesus, according to the words of Paul, we cannot earn our salvation. There, there is no such place in the scriptures, and I know people mean well when they say this, but there's no place in the scriptures that say you and I have to build the kingdom. Now we can proclaim the kingdom, we should proclaim the kingdom, but only God builds the kingdom, amen? amen. So when I say work, 
I'm not talking about your effort to earn favor for God. But what I'm talking about is a practical application of you being human. A human being will be the hands and feet of Jesus. God made us for this. And if the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is dwelling in us, then we have an activity. There is an outflow. There is a purpose to our life. And there is a working that takes place. There is an outer working of God's love out of us. In Luke chapter 19, there's a parable of these 10 servants and each of them were given a mina. And a mina in that day was the equivalent of three to four months wages. So 10 people, the, 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 the master came and he gave them each that kind of wages. And, and the first one, when he, when he returned, he came back, you can read about this. He came back and he had made 10 more minas. So this guy had took like three months of, of income and he made it into a couple years worth of income. And he said, well done, my good and faithful steward. You've been faithful over little. I'm going to make you ruler over much. Working for the Lord is being faithful, is stewarding what God has given into our entrustment, what God has given to us to operate within. And so this, this parable goes on. And finally, it comes to a guy who says, hey, I took your three months of wages, master, and I put it in the bank. One guy says, I put it in the ground. Didn't even put it in the bank. And so all of these different applications of what they did with the money and the guy who just buried it, they just, just put it in the ground and didn't even at least make interest on it. He was reprimanded as unfaithful, not a good steward. And he was told to take his and give it to the guy with 10. What's this parable telling us about? It's telling us that our work is basically stewardship. What God has given to us, we have an influence to steward it well, to do something with it. And therefore, we should be stewarding our testimony for Jesus. What has God done in your life? You don't have to be a preacher, a prophet, an apostle, an evangelist. You don't have to be a Sunday school teacher. But you have a testimony that can share with others what God has done for you. Practically, you can be working your relationships and leveraging the people in your life for the cause of Christ. This is what working really means in accordance to God's word. We should be focusing on our relationships. 1 Peter 4 and 8 says, Above all things, have fervent love one for another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each of us has received a gift. Okay, what is it? Minister it to one another as good stewards. Everybody say good stewards. Of the manifold grace of God. How are you working the grace of God in your life? How are you leveraging the knowledge you do have of the truth? None of us knows everything in this Bible, but you know some things and you can share that with others. You know your testimony. You know better than anybody what God has done for you. So are you hiding your light under a bushel or are you setting it out so all can see? Leveraging, working for the Lord that testimony into the lives of others. So your life is on display. And your life speaks something to the people around you. Let me ask you a question. Do you leave an environment better than you found it? Do you leave a place better than you found it? If you find something messy, do you clean it up? Or do you just throw up your hand and say, that's not my job. Someone else will do that. No, a believer in Jesus is compelled to leave something better than they found it. That is a testimony. That is stewarding your influence well. It's doing what, you have, doing what you can with what God has entrusted you with. 
So how's your witness? How's your witness? Do people know about God because of your testimony? Because you actually opened your mouth to speak what God has done for you and what he's doing in you. I'm gonna close with this because this is what it looks like. I wanna show you from the scripture what it looks like when Jesus finally returns in his fullness. Revelation 21, verses one through five. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Sea is a a, a connotation for chaos. There's no more chaos. It's gone. No more sea. Then I, John, saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the good part. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. And he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand. So people ask, Pastor, are we living in the last days? And I say to you emphatically, yes. We've been living in the last days for the last 2,000 years. According to the scriptures, the last days have been occurring for that long. Now, are we living in the very moment before the end of time? I really don't know, but I do know this. You are living in your last days. If you're 20, you're living in your last days. If you're 30, you're living in your last days. If you're 60, you're living in your last days. If you're 95, you're living in your last days. Because all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We will stand and we will give account for God. How did we steward what God has given to us? Practically, how did we use and leverage our influence? If this message is fearful, if you have a little bit of anxiety and not sure, then we can fix that today. You can simply say yes to Jesus today. His arms are open wide. His mercy and his grace is ready. For whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That is a gospel promise. So today, this is a day of invitation. This is a day of anticipation. We invite you, come, say yes. Give your life to Jesus. Are you ready? You can make ready today. Let's sing. You come back
give him a hand. He did a great job. Thank you. If you said yes to Jesus today, would you tell someone, would you let us know if you're watching online and that's you, then just give us a little note there in the comment box. Reach out to us directly through email. Let us know that something has activated and changed for you. I'm going to ask that you remain seated for just a moment. We know that uh, the holidays are coming up, particularly December is such a busy time, but we want to share something with you that is happening uh, right here in our own church, and this would be a, a private uh, viewing event. You can bring some friends. 
Uh, but our very own Greg Sandlin, my father-in-law, has written a movie called A Christmas Prayer. And on December the 2nd, that is the first Saturday of December at 7.30 right here in this room, you're gonna have an opportunity for a private viewing before this goes into theaters. You're gonna be able to see it first and be able to tell people about it. And uh, this has been filmed on location here locally uh, with lots of many people in the church are, are involved in this project. I want you to watch this clip and I'll be right back. my mom I've said all that I want to say about that she may be alive and well but I've no intention of going to see her sometimes there's joy to be found even when all we see is loss you know sometimes I just think he he might be dead there has to be more to the story than that what did your mom say to you it's what she didn't say to me your mom and dad died in a car accident when you were in college right that is what i told you guys but i lied time out okay this first name stuff stops right now i'm dad and mom's mom we've earned the right as your parents to get some respect you lied to us all of us and you had a good reason dad says prayers wasted time yeah i don't agree with your dad Dexter? I'm getting Dexter? Hey, can I get some help here, please? <laughs> no brakes, man. The brakes are gone. <laughs> this is crazy. You are crazy. <laughs> Dexter, you're crazy, but it's working. Who's that kid next door, Nancy? That's Bobby. Hey, so that's your invitation to the Christmas prayer this December. You get a private preview. Come out on December the 2nd. We would love to see you out here at New Freedom Church. So uh, if you're with us today for the first, second, third time, you're just kind of uh, checking us out a little bit, we want to welcome you as our guest by giving you a free gift. It's at the information desk in the lobby online. You can simply request that gift. Let us know that you're tuning in, seeing us today, and we'll send that out to you. And if uh, you are interested in ways that you can get involved, we have multiple ways to get involved here at the church. We'd love to connect with you and how you can serve, how you can be ministered to, and even how you can partner financially with us. There are multiple ways to do that, and we are just so thankful for all of those that have said, you know what, that church has been a blessing to me, that ministry has meant something to me, and I want to partner financially to help them to continue to do all the work that they do. So we thank you for that. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you next week.